Make Walters your spot for this NFL season. All indoor TVs are preset and are first come, first serve. They're proud to show every NFL game every week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to call Josh Donaldson, bringer of rain, swinging a line drive center field. That's a solid base hit. Trotting down the line from third to score is Willie Adamas. Stopping at second is Rowdy Telez. Josh Donaldson has his third run batted in as a Brewer, and the Brewers add to their lead here in the bottom of the fifth. It's now Milwaukee five at Washington one. As Garcia takes his lead, Piams delivers. And a swing, a little looper, shallow left. This may fall and is going to drop in a base hit. And into third to score the tying run is the pinch hitter, Michael Chavis. The shortstop going out. Adamas could not get there. It's a pop fly single to left for Jake Alou. And the Nationals have come back from a 5-1 deficit. We're all even now here at the top of the eighth with two out. He bats with the bases loaded, two out, 5-5. Bottom of the eighth, Finnegan sets. Delivers, swinging a long drive to left, way back. Going, going, gone, goodbye. A grand slam home run for Marquetta. This place has gone crazy. It is now Milwaukee 9 and Washington 5. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, September 17th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at American Family Field. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Six Nats pitchers on Saturday night in game two of a three-game series at the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers combined to throw exactly 200 pitches in just eight innings of work. You heard that right. 200 pitches over eight innings, an average of 25 pitches per inning. And yet, The Nats were in this game. They overcame a 5-1, six-inning deficit. But then, with the game tied at five in the bottom of the eighth, Kyle Finnegan pitching for the first time since the previous Saturday night, capped a uh, rather rough outing by giving up a two-out first pitch grand slam by Mark Canna to left field for a 9-5 Brewers lead. And 9-5 was the final for the Nats, who now have lost five consecutive games. Now we're just 4-15 and over the team's last 19 games. And now for the season are 65 and 84. Mark, it has been said that you watch a baseball game and you'll see something that you've never seen before in baseball games. 
200 pitches for a team in just eight innings, not even nine innings. I'm not saying that that has never happened, but boy, that was something to see on Saturday night and that the Nats were in this game was something to see. Well, I think that's the part of it that just blows your mind. If I had told you after the second inning when Trevor Williams comes out of the game that he's going to be off the hook and that he's not even really going to be the storyline of this game because they have a chance to win it, would you have thought there was any chance of them coming back to win it. You said 200 pitches. It was 123 after the fourth inning. That's insane. But because they somehow were able to limit the damage, it at least gave them a chance. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the whole scrappy Nats thing that has been discussed this year, but this game did apply to that. They scrapped their way back into it. There were not a lot of big towering hits. It was a lot of singles some walks, some just good quality at-bats, and pretty good relief pitching, at least until they got to the bottom of the eighth, to put him in that position. And I don't know about you, to me, a loss like this, I think it stings more because everything you had to do to get yourself back in a position to win a game that you probably had no business winning in the first place and then lose like that, I think that's tougher than if, say, Trevor Williams had been knocked out and, you know, dug them into the kind of hole they couldn't dig out of. And they just, you know, go through the motions the rest of the night and get blown out. I think this manner of losing is actually tougher to swallow than that would have been. Yeah, I think what mitigates the nature of the loss, though, is that we're so late into the season that I think there may be this like desensitizing to losing that has happened with the team. Now, you know, it's probably different for every player, but you know, we're just playing out the string at this point. And I would think if you're the Nats players, that probably has creeped into your psyche, at least somewhat. I mean, they'll never say that, nor should they say that. But yeah, there has been a lot of losing, especially lately. But no doubt, you know, this was bizarre. I mean, with Trevor Williams, and we'll do more on him later, but he was really bad. And yet he only gave up three runs in two innings. It felt like he gave up about 12 runs in two innings because when he got pulled, there wasn't a Nats fan on the planet who disagreed with that decision. Like he was awful. He needed to be yanked. And yet he only gave up three runs. We have seen a lot worse these last few years. But, you know, that's the way that it went in this game. So with Kyle Finnegan, I tell you, you kind of had a feeling that something like this might happen. We know the deal with Finnegan. He seems to be better the more that he pitches. Now, at the same time, he had not been going particularly well lately. So I don't know that what happened on Saturday night was necessarily a result of him having not pitched in a while. But he is in this game. He pitches in a game for the first time in seven days. And he was a disaster. He allowed four runs in two-thirds of an inning. He came into the game in the bottom of the eighth with one out, bases empty, game tied at five. He gave up a one-out double by the Brewers' number nine batter, Tyrone Taylor, to left field. Finnegan gave up a one-out full count opposite field infield single by Sal Freelich on a grounder, on which shortstop C.J. Abrams made a really nice diving catch in shallow left field. But then Finnegan issued a two-out walk of Carlos Santana. And then came the big blow, Finnegan giving up a two-out first pitch grand slam by Mark Canna to left field for a 9-5 Brewers lead. The homer went 411 feet per stat cast. The homer was the Nats' major league worst 87th relief pitching home run allowed this season. This was rough for Kyle Finnegan. It was, like you said, he had not been the same guy for a few weeks now. He had kind of gotten away with it a little bit, then he had a blown save on the last homestand, and he just has not been as crisp as he was earlier in the year. But you get a week off, you should be totally fresh, and that shouldn't be a reason for any issues. What I thought was interesting is he did say 
without saying directly it was tied to how much time he had off, he said his stuff felt really good in this game, almost too good. And the splitter that he throws so much and was the pitch that he gave up the grand slam on, he felt like had some extra movement in the wrong direction. It was cutting towards the left as he's facing it, as opposed to sinking down and in on a right-handed hitter. And in that moment, okay, he's just loaded the bases. Jim Hickey comes out for the mound visit, and they're discussing how they're going to approach Canna. Now, he's faced Canna a few times when he was with the Mets prior to this. So Canna knows him. And the discussion was, yeah, right now against him in this matchup, your splitter is your best pitch, but you got to get it down and in. So he tries to get that first one down and in. Instead, he leaves it right over the plate, and it got destroyed. And I don't know, watching him through all this, he's kind of become a two-pitch guy. It's the fastball, and it's the splitter. He used to throw a slider. I haven't seen it from him in a while, at least not in a big spot. And I just wonder, deep down, a guy like Canna had seen him before. When he was with the Mets, there had to be a lot of scouting reports on Finnegan. And I just wonder, in his mind, did he kind of have a sense of what was coming? or just feel like he already knows this guy and that had something to do with it. Now, of course, you execute your pitch, it shouldn't matter if they know what's coming. But it felt to me a little bit like Finnegan has thrown enough and has maybe become a little bit predictable and that he was only throwing two pitches and that maybe Canna went up there with a little bit of confidence because of that. Well, Finnegan got ambushed. I mean, first pitch grand slam, so that certainly would speak to what you were just saying. Five Nats relievers were used in this game they combined to allow six runs in six innings. Amos Willingham faced eight batters, got just three outs. He gave up a solo homer, a double and a single, issued two walks. Andres Machado allowed a run in two innings. But Jordan Weems and Jose A. Ferrer were good. Weems tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth. Ferrer tossed one and a third perfect innings. The Nats on Thursday morning announced having returned from a rehabilitation assignment and uh, reinstated Thad Ward to the 15-day injured list. So he is back. He'd been out for two-plus months due to right shoulder inflammation. We see Trevor Williams last for just two innings. I think a lot of people probably said to themselves, Thad Ward time, right? Just got reinstated. He's a guy who can pitch multiple innings. Here we go. Now, perhaps the Nats are saving him for a start coming up, but were you surprised that we did not see Thad Ward at all in this game? I was, I thought, and I even tweeted like, oh, this is going to be a night to see him pitch. And I think in the back of his mind, that's what Davey Martinez intended to do. But as you just said, Williams, as bad as he was, leaves in a 3 nothing game and it's still early. And if you're trying to win the game, which they are trying to do, you say, well, let's give us a little shot here for a couple innings. Let's see what we can do. It stayed close. Now, I think if any of those relievers had come in and blown it up and all of a sudden you're down six, seven runs, different story. You say, okay, Thad, go ahead. You got the rest of the game and see what he can do. But it was just close enough to stick with the better guys. And by the time you get now to the sixth and the seventh, it became an A bullpen game in a bizarre way that I don't think anybody would have expected. I mean, let's talk about the fact that Finnegan was pitching the eighth inning, which we have not often seen here lately. But I think that was a sign of him being fresh. The idea was probably that he would go two innings if he got through that and the game is still tied or they have a lead in the ninth. But I mean, despite only getting two innings from your starter, it actually turned into the kind of game that you're managing to try to win and use your best relievers. And so while on the surface, it would have made sense to use your mop-up man, the the guy you want to get a look at in long relief and maybe eventually start, the game situation dictated, we still have to give this thing a shot. And that's exactly how it played out. Now, we'll see him here eventually. Maybe even he makes a start for Trevor Williams at some point, because I'm not sure what's left to accomplish putting Trevor Williams on the mound again. We'll have to see how that plays out. But the way this game went, 
I think it was too close for David to concede it essentially and put his rule five pick out there. And that was kind of a push-pull that I think was going on in watching this game and thinking about this game because your starting pitcher lasts for two innings, 99 times out of 100, you're using multiple relievers for multiple innings. But you didn't see that in this game from a standpoint of relievers working that long. I mean, Machado worked two innings, Ferrer worked an inning and a third. But this was managed like, you know, a quote unquote normal game in which a starting pitcher lasts for a normal amount of time because the game was bizarrely close, even though the starter lasts for just two innings. And yeah, that starter, Trevor Williams. So a third consecutive wretched outing. It's easy to forget he actually had back-to-back good outings, beginning with the game against the Philadelphia Phillies and Williamsport a few weeks back. But Williams on Saturday night, last for two innings, three runs in two innings, gave up five hits, all of which were singles, issued two walks, recorded one strikeout. He over his two innings threw 70 pitches, 40 strikes versus 30 balls. The bottom line numbers are 29 starts for Williams this season. First 11 starts, he had an ERA of 393. These last 18 starts, he has an ERA of 659. And that's even including those back-to-back good starts of a few weeks ago. There's so little left in the regular season, I suppose you could say, let him finish out the year, who cares? At the same time, it really is rough right now. It's non-competitive, these last few starts. You do have Thad Ward, who they do want to see start. Do you think it's as simple as Williams out Ward in, or do you think there's a little more to it than that? I think it could happen. It would make sense. Things are lined up for that. I don't think they're going to make a decision immediately in the wake of this game, but as they map this out now over the rest of the week and the rest of the season, it would make logical sense unless you're saying, well, I want to let Trevor Williams try to end the season on a, on a better note than this, but the problem is he's had three opportunities to pitch the last couple of times. And they've gotten worse progressively, each of them, it feels like. That was non-competitive, as you said. It's one thing if he's doing the Patrick Corbin thing, where it's not pretty, but he's given you five, six innings at least, and serving a purpose, eating up innings at a time of year when you just want that out of your veterans. Well, he's not even doing that. And he put everybody behind the eight ball and put the bullpen in a tough spot. Again, let's remember during a stretch in which they don't have any off days again for quite a long time. So to me, are you gaining a whole lot putting him back out there and hoping this time it'll somehow be different? I got to tell you, this Brewers lineup was just toying with Trevor Williams. They were fouling off anything that was remotely close to the edges, waiting him out, driving up his pitch count, and ultimately saying, well, we'll either take our walk or if you give us something over the plate, we'll hit it and we'll hit it hard and get on base from it. It was torturous to watch this. It just felt to me like this is a guy whose stuff is not good enough to get past hitters, either to get him to swing and miss or to get him to make weak contact in fair territory. The Brewers were in complete control in the box against him. And so you get to a point, you say he's thrown 141 innings this year and he hasn't done this in four years. And if you're not really sure what his role is moving forward. I don't know what benefit that there is. If he's getting knocked around, but he's at least giving you six innings, that's a different story. But he's not. He's getting knocked out early. He's putting more strain on the bullpen. At this stage, why not put this Rule 5 draft pick out there who you've been so careful with all year long and just find out? Maybe he gets knocked around too. Who knows? But it's not going to be any worse. It's not going to cause any more trouble than it is to put Trevor Williams out there when you get the same result anyways. 
It is not easy to wrestle away the championship belt of worst starting pitcher on the Nationals from Patrick Corbin. He has held that belt for multiple years. He, even for this season, has an ERA over five. But there is no debate. Trevor Williams has been the worst starting pitcher on the Nats this season. Corbin and Williams, each guy has made 29 starts this year. Corbin's ERA, 513. Williams, 555. Corbin's whip, 148. Williams, 157. And to what you were just saying, Corbin has thrown 165 innings. Williams has thrown 141 innings. He's not eating up innings. And this fall has been really precipitous. I mean, again, first 11 starts ERA of 393. Now, we do see this. You know, we have seen this with Nats pitchers in recent years. Guys be good for the first 10 or so starts in a season and then drop off. Eric Fetty did it the last two years. Josiah Gray, in a lot of ways, has done it this year. Mackenzie Gore has done it to a degree this year. Williams has done it this year. This is not exclusive to Nats pitchers. This happens with other teams. You go through the grind of a season, you know, pitchers get worn down and the stats start to drop off. But this is something. A sub-4 ERA to now an ERA of about six and a half since then, and an ERA for the season that is uh, over five and a half at this point. This has become a brutally bad year for Trevor Williams off us not that long ago talking about how this actually was looking like a pretty good season for Trevor Williams. And a good signing. And there were a lot of Mets fans who were upset that the Nats signed him because he was so valuable for them. And they said, well, you know, good on the Nats. They gave him two years. They're going to give him a chance to start. So be it. We'll have to live with it. I don't think any Mets fans are upset now the way that worked out. Yeah, I mean, he's actually gotten to a point where he ranks among the worst starting pitchers in the National League at the end of this season. And I do think it raises a big question. We brought it up before. Do you really go into next spring and say that he is one of your five guys coming out of camp? I would like to believe they're going to have five pitchers more worthy of a spot than him, especially when you have some young arms that are promising. I think Jake Irvin has certainly earned his way into the opening day rotation. I guess it comes down to like a Joanna Doan or a Jackson Rutledge. And will you see enough here down the stretch to have a, an idea if they are ready? But if it's a question and it's kind of like pick one or the other, go with the young arm at this point. You can always put Williams in the bullpen and basically treat him like they did Paolo Espino for a few years. Go be the long man, but you're available in case somebody falters or somebody gets hurt. You can always move him back into the rotation. That's not a problem. I'm not advocating getting rid of him altogether. But at some point, you do have to take that step and say, veteran starters are great if they're providing a service to you. And as bad as he's been, I think you could say that Patrick Corbin does provide some kind of service to them. I'm not sure we're at that point with Trevor Williams right now. And there've got to be better options than him as you look ahead to next spring. It's interesting, too, because you go back to when he signed with the Nats last offseason, and he talked about one of the reasons him signing with the Nats being that he was going to be a starter for the Nats. And sure enough, he has been a starter throughout this season. He has not made one relief appearance the entire year. You look at his career, he has been a starter slash reliever. This season, he has been exclusively a starter. He has gotten his chance, and he's not holding up his end of the bargain, certainly not over these last few months. I wonder if there's any part of him that maybe wouldn't mind going back to being a reliever. Obviously, there's more money and prestige in being a starter, but if that's not what you're made to be, if that's not where you do your best work, you know, maybe he would find more comfort and more success going back to that, you know, at least starter slash reliever role as opposed to exclusively being a starter. Because I think you certainly could argue he's gotten exposed with what's happened this season. Yeah. Like I said, the stuff has not been good enough to get through a lineup three times. It just isn't. 
Now, maybe in shorter bursts it is. And, and the track record he has as a long reliever and occasional starter was pretty good. And it, maybe it doesn't draw as much attention and certainly doesn't make you as much money in the long run. That's still a valuable skill and not something that everybody out there can do and do effectively. So as this team gets better, hopefully, you'd like to believe that they can look at somebody like this and say, okay, he still has value to us, but let's put him in a role in which we can maximize his value and not put him out there every fifth day and hope for something that he's unlikely to provide. Heads up, Ted Lasso fans. Brett Goldstein, a.k.a. Roy Kent, is coming to DAR in mid-November. Head to the Game Time app for more info on how to land tickets. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And listeners, download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played Saturday in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Cruz two for three while hitting second behind Robert Hassel III and playing center field. His average is now above the Mendoza line at 208. The Senators beat Bowie four to two. Sunday is the final game of the season. Now back to Mark and Al. Pitch, Garcia hits a fly ball to right, well tagged. Taylor's going back, it's over his head and gone. There's a hit of Corbin Burns, a home run to right for Luis Garcia. The Nationals' first hit and base runner of the night. Garcia can circle the bases on the home run. 3-1 Milwaukee. Well, when it came to the Nats offense in this 9-5 loss at the Brewers on Saturday night, so Nats were down 5-1 in the sixth inning. The Brewers starting pitcher, Corbin Burns, who has been quite good for Milwaukee, he was cruising until he wasn't. And the final line for Corbin Burns actually ended up being not very good. Four runs in five and two-thirds innings. Now, he did have nine strikeouts, but the Nats ultimately got to Burns and ultimately very much made this a game. Three runs in the top of the sixth, another run in the top of the eighth. The Nats for the game totaled nine hits to go with three walks, four for 10 with runners in scoring position in a typical 2023 scrappy Nats fashion. Eight of the nine hits were singles, although the one non-single uh, was a home run, a solo home run by Luis Garcia. But 
The hit that tied the game was like your prototypical 2023 Nats hit. Jake Alou in that Nats one-run eighth, a game-tying, two-out, opposite-field RBI single on a fly ball to no man's land in left field to tie the game at five. I mean, certainly some good luck there, but whatever. Alou made contact, and the Nats ended up tying the game, coming back from that 5-1, six-inning deficit. Mentioned Luis Garcia, good game for him. He was an ad-starting second baseman and number seven batter, two for three with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. He and an ad's one-run third had a leadoff homer to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1, 408 feet per stat cast. He and the Nats three-run six through a two-out bases-loaded walk to cut the Nats deficit to 5-4 despite having been down in the count at 1.12 as he was called for an automatic strike uh, to begin his plate appearance. And Garcia in the Nats, one run eighth, a two out full count single to right field despite having been down in the count at 1.12. You wrote about Luis Garcia. He's been back with the Nats at the major league level for a little more than a week now. He was uh, recalled from AAA Rochester now two Fridays ago, September 8th. Hadn't done much, but he certainly did a good bit in this game on Saturday night. He was two for 22 until this game since his comeback and not really showing much of anything, not hitting the ball with authority, swinging at bad pitches, hitting weak ground balls, all the kinds of things that we had seen from him in the past. But Davey Martinez did say beforehand that he was pleased with the process, that all that stuff they've wanted him to work on, on, on his prep before games and having a plan of attack, when he got up there, they just felt like he needed to stick with it. And he would finally start to see results. And boy, did he see them. This is the best game we've seen him play in quite a long time. And it shows you that he does have this in him. He has this ability. He just has to show he can do that day in and day out. I think that's always been the concern with him. There's a whole lot of talent there. But can he do it every single day? Can he sustain that drive, that attention, that motivation, whatever you want to call it, to be this guy every single day. It was a great game for him at the plate and in the field as well. And honestly, as, as many good things as he did, and I mean, the home run was great. It kind of broke the ice and it got them going against Corbin Burns, who was cruising, as you said. To me, that walk in the sixth inning was the biggest thing of all. I mean, you start at an 0-1 count because you were late to be ready. <laughs> and the clock violation, th- this game had more clock violations than we've seen in like the last month. It was really bizarre. I don't know why that was. So he starts in the hole like that. He gets two strikes on him. And this is a guy, as we know, he will chase anything that looks like it's remotely in the strike zone. Sometimes he makes contact on it, but it often is not good quality contact. And what did he do? He took three straight pitches, tough pitches with two strikes and two outs and the bases loaded. And he laid off all of them and then had a great check swing that the crowd here in Milwaukee was convinced he had gone all the way around. Corbin Burns was convinced he had gone around. You watch the replay. No, he held up. He did a great job, I think. On that. That to me was one of the most impressive at bats I've ever seen from Luis Garcia. And if he can somehow do that on a more regular basis, that makes all the difference in the world. And that suggests that maybe he can ultimately make it up here. Luis Garcia, CJ Abrams, Kbert Ruiz, three Nats building blocks, three guys who you would like to see draw more walks. And at least in the cases of Garcia and Abrams, maybe we are seeing that. Garcia with what he did in this game. Abrams lately has been drawing more walks. He drew a key walk in that three-run six, a one-out walk. Uh, Didn't do much beyond that, but certainly would be good to have that going here. You know, it's a funny deal. The Nats in this game were in this game despite the top three batters in the lineup, C.J. Abrams, Lane Thomas, and K. Ruiz going a combined one for 14 with a single, 
one walk and seven strikeouts. Lane Thomas on Saturday night, 0 for 5 with three strikeouts. C.J. Abrams in this game, 0 for 4 with the walk and three strikeouts. However, coming through offensively for the Nats in this game was Joey Manessis, Mr. Single. Another game in which he had multiple singles. So Manessis on Saturday night as the Nats starting designated hitter and number four batter. Three for four with an RBI single and two other singles. Top of the fourth, a two-out first pitch, opposite field single to right center field. Manessis in the Nats three-run six, a two-out opposite field RBI single to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 5-2 despite having been down in the count at 1.02. And Manessis in the Nats one-run eighth, a leadoff infield single on a tapper to the left side of the infield. A lot of people listening probably know this. In case you don't, Joey Manessis for a good chunk of this season has ranked among the top, say, 15 or 20 batters in the majors in hits. If you look at the current leaderboard, Joey Manessis and Matt Olson, who is having a season from the heavens, each guy has the same number of hits this season, if you can believe that. Now, Olsen has hit just a few more homers, 52 to Manessis' 11, but each guy with 157 hits on the year. We've talked about this with Manessis. It is an odd year, statistically speaking, with the lack of power. He's barely slugging over 400, but he does generate hits. Boy, does he go the opposite way a ton. And look, if your life is on the line and a Nationals runner is on second or third base and you need that run, you want Manessa's batting this season. I don't think there's any question about that. That's what I was just about to say. If you need a drive to the gap, if you need a home run, he's not the guy. There are plenty of others that I'd rather have up there with a shot to do that. But if you just need to get a runner home from third with two outs and all you need is an opposite field single, Joey Manessis is money in those situations. And yeah, we all wish and he wishes he had that other extra element to his offensive game this year that would really make him into a complete hitter. And maybe someday he'll rediscover that again. But in the meantime, it's a really valuable skill that he has. And it's not as easy as it looks to do what he does. It feels like it's easy, though, because you just expect it like you you see it coming. He's going to get a pitch on the outer third of the plate, and he's just going to poke it into right field and drive in that run. He's got 80 80 RBIs on the season now. It's been fantastic with runners in scoring position all year long. I know it's not the style of baseball in 2023 and that people want Kyle Schwarber hitting 197 with 40 bombs. And yes, there's value in that too. But to me, there's still value in what Joey Manessis does. And maybe someday in the near future, when they have some other sluggers around him in the lineup, will appreciate it even more because he can be the guy who comes up with those clutch hits for them while the others are driving in runs and bunches with doubles and home runs. The season that he's having would be awesome if he was like your number six or number seven batter. The problem is that he's way over slotted as your number two, number three, or number four batter. That's the issue. But that's not his fault. And that's not his problem. Like he's doing what he can do. We all know the Joy Manessa story. The fact that he's even at this point in his career is remarkable. And yeah, I mean, his ability to come through in the quote unquote clutch this season has been something. I don't know of where you could find this, but I'd love to know the percentage of his hits that are opposite field hits this season. He's got to have one of the highest opposite field hit rates in the majors this year. So many of his hits are opposite field hits. And singles and and with a runner on second or on third. And I, I do think he is trying for that. And I think some of this is the way that pitchers approach him. Because of what he did last year and what, at times what he's done this year, they know he can turn on an inside fastball. So they're just going to feed him breaking balls, off-speed stuff away and sacrifice 
trying not to give up the big hit. But credit to him. He knows how to handle that. He's going to take what they give him, as they say. And he does that as well as anybody in the game right now. And like you said, not just on the Nats, but I don't know. There are very few hitters in the majors right now that would rather have up in that specific situation. No, if you're down multiple runs and you need a really big hit like Marcana provided for the Brewers in this game, you want somebody else. But if you just need that one run to get in, you could do a lot worse than Joey Manessis. I think part of it, too, is he looks like a power hitter. He's a bigger guy. You know, he's got some bulk to him. If he looked more diminutive, if he was skinnier, you would maybe say, okay, well, how he hits makes sense. The body doesn't match the hitting style, at least this year. That's the other part of it, too. Last year, he did hit for power, albeit over two months. So, you know, he's probably a victim of that stunning success late last season. There was one other plate appearance I did want to bring up. Carter Keeboom, who had a good game on Friday night, had a big hit on Saturday night. He was in that starting third baseman, number six batter, one for four, RBI single. He in that three-run sixth, a two-out, bases loaded RBI single up the middle on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 5-3. You mentioned the uh, frequency with which we had good plate appearances by Nats batters in this game. I thought that that was a good one by Carter Keeboom. Yeah, absolutely. That whole inning was filled with them. And that was another good one from a guy who we've seen too often in the course of his career, get in a spot and try to do too much and start chasing, especially when down in the count. I'll be honest, facing uh, Corbin Burns, I'm thinking, okay, well, I think I have a idea how this one's going to go. And no, he delivered for them in a big way and busted it down the line to make sure that there was no chance of them making a play on him. That was critical for them in the course of that rally. I think the Manessas hit, the Keyboom hit, and then the Garcia walk, which came right after it, were all huge and made that rally possible. And a game in which, I mean, for five innings, Corbin Burns is mowing through them. First inning, three strikeouts on 11 pitches. Contrast that with what Trevor Williams did. It was just night and day. You couldn't believe it. And you just had another one of these games where the Nats are making quick outs. They're looking overwhelmed. They're not making him work at all. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's going to go way deep into the game. And for them to flip that switch in the sixth inning the way they did and knock him out of the game in that manner, it was really impressive. And it just makes you say, why can't they take that approach in other at-bats? Why does it always seem to come down to one inning, whether it's the first inning the other night against Wade Miley, or in this case, the sixth inning against Corbin Burns? I don't know why they've just not been able to sustain that kind of approach across multiple at-bats and multiple innings in a game. Burns' outing Saturday night reminded me of Jake Irvin's outing on Friday night. So good for so much of the outing, but it all came apart, and the final line ended up not being that good and not really reflective of how well the guy had pitched for so much of the evening. But that was a Corbin Burns problem on Saturday night. So good job on the Nats to come back. But like we said, they do end up losing again. That's now five consecutive losses. Uh, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com online. Next up for the Nats, Game 3 at the Brewers, Sunday afternoon at 2.10. Nats will try to avoid a three-game sweep. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Two and two the count. Bottom of the ninth, the pitch. 
Swing and a fly ball to center. Prune going back, reaches up, can't get it. It's off the wall. Two runs are going to score to tie the game. Heading for third is Tostado with a triple, and we're tied at five. The Red Wings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.